So let's get to what we are here to celebrate this morning. Uh, we're here to celebrate Easter together. And as we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 28, uh, allow me to read to you a passage from actually Jesus's Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew chapter 5. There was one verse that came to mind this morning is, or yesterday that I wanted to share this morning as I was considering what we we're going to be talking about. And I was thinking about yesterday being Saturday, being Sabbath technically, and thinking about the position the disciples would have been in following the crucifixion of Christ on Friday and the, the mindset and kind of where their, where their hearts would have been on that Sabbath day, on that rest day where they weren't really allowed to go do anything. They had just time to sit and contemplate what had happened. Uh, that's something that you really don't want to dwell on when, when really all your hopes and dreams have been wrecked. And yet what followed the crucifixion of Christ was a day where that's all they really could do was just sit and think about what happened. And so this verse came to mind as I was thinking about all that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, the second of the Beatitudes is this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Undoubtedly, the disciples and the followers of Jesus after his crucifixion were in an immense darkness of mourning and the, the, the loss of Jesus. He had been murdered, and that Sabbath Saturday must have felt like the longest day ever. It must have felt absolutely overwhelming and heavy to be sitting around thinking about all that you had hoped in being gone. In fact, they may have thought it impossible at that time for there to be any blessing through comfort for what they were going through. With the Lord being dead and in a tomb, he was even placed there by two members of the Sanhedrin, by Joseph and by Nicodemus, two guys who were secretly followers of Jesus, but publicly stepped forward and buried his body after he died on the cross. And it's interesting that these two men were the only two that came and buried him. The women had watched them do it. But the disciples were nowhere to be seen. They weren't even part of the burial process. The disciples, if you think about that and, and you really let that sink in a bit, imagine the person that you love most in the world and you couldn't even be there for their burial. You couldn't be anywhere near them for that. Or even worse yet, you chose not to. You were too afraid to. And so I can't imagine the situation they were in on Sabbath. I can't imagine their mindset and their hearts and, and just trying to picture yourself being there. It's a real low place. Jesus was dead and hope had died with them. And what was left for them now? They'd given up everything. They'd forsaken everything to follow him. And now that Sabbath was ending, where would their lives pick back up again? And I can hear those words that Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And as the sun starts to rise on that Sunday morning, something amazing had happened that they were about to find out about. It's so cool. When you think about just the storyline and how, how unique of a story this is, you can't help but get excited and be like, this really is the good part. You know, like when you're watching a movie and you're like, oh no, just kind of endure these parts. We're about to get to the really good part. This is the really good part. And the really exciting thing about this church is this, the good part's still going. It's still going right now. This didn't end with Jesus' ascension. That's when our part really took off as a church. And so this is exciting stuff because we are living in it still today. We're still living in this exciting time. 
And so this matters for us on a scale that's so beyond what we can, what we can even um, try to package. It's just, it's too big. It's too awesome. So as the sun starts to rise on Sunday, the darkness that's weighing so heavy on the disciples and even on the women as they approach the tomb, all this is about to have light explode into it. The light of the reality of Jesus raised from the dead. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Let's read the first four verses and we'll just kind of work our way through this short section. Matthew records this. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. We know that the two Marys had been watching the tomb. They had watched as Joseph of Arimathea had left after wrapping Jesus along with Nicodemus. And they knew where he had been laid. And here they are again coming to the tomb to complete the burial process for Jesus. They were coming to the tomb wondering how they would get the stone out of the way. They were there to finish the process for Jesus. And the testimony of women in this time, this is so important, was completely discredited. The testimony of women at the, in culturally in this time period was not valid at all, simply because they were women. It wasn't right, but that's how it was. And just because they were women, they would be discredited for their account. So it begs the question, why did Matthew begin with this testimony from women, from the Marys? And there's a really simple answer, because it's true. Because it's exactly what happened. No one who was trying to prove something culturally or manipulate people's minds to show them that something had happened that hadn't happened would start with women's accounts. They would start with some other account that was more convincing. But here's the thing. First of all, the historical fact of the matter, cultural pre prejudices, they just don't reflect the heart of God. Cultural prejudices do not reflect the heart of God. God loves human beings, men and women alike. And here's the point. The truth is honored in God's word. God doesn't play into cultural prejudice. He doesn't play into problems of the day. He speaks the truth. And so Matthew, as a representation of that in his gospel, shares the truth. These women gave a true account, and they are just as valuable in God's eyes as any man giving a true account. And that's something that we should strengthen ourselves with and remind ourselves of often that he doesn't look at us differently. He looks at us as human beings. We play our roles. God gives us specific roles to play. But when it comes to value in the kingdom, we are equal as human beings before God. And he gives these women this amazing testimony, this amazing thing to live out and to be the first there at the tomb. The disciples weren't even the first ones there. They were kind of chumps at this point. The women were the ones who were there. And they were the ones who were there showing love to the Savior, even in his burial, even in his death. What devotion. These women loved Jesus and they proved it through their actions. They didn't just say it, they proved it. The disciples loved him too. But these women were going a step further and they were walking that out. I agree with what Augustine said about them. He said, oh, that men in all time would learn the lessons of the Marys and when they can do none other for the Christ, watch. Oh, that men would learn from this example and when you can do nothing, when things are out of your hands, when you feel powerless, that you would just watch. Just wait and watch. 
This is a lesson that we as men can learn from these gals. They're doing it right. The disciples had run and hid, but they were faithful to watch and look for opportunity to love the Lord even in his death. They were devoted to him then. So there's an earthquake that happens, a violent earthquake, verse 2. Because an angel of the Lord descends from heaven and approaches the tomb. He rolls back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance, it says, was like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. Angels have been active during the incarnation of Jesus. We've read about them all throughout the story. Jesus, Jesus was ministered to as he was tempted in the wilderness. After he defeated the temptation of Satan, he was ministered to by an angel there. We know that in the garden, as he had prayed just before his crucifixion, an angel, angel ministered to him there. And what's interesting to me is we see angels at the bookends of Jesus's life and resurrection, the beginning of his life and his resurrection, because angels were the ones who announced his birth to the shepherds in Bethlehem. They were the ones that were proclaiming in open ground that a savior had been born sending the shepherds into town to find Jesus. And now it's an angel that gets to herald and announce to the world that the Savior is no longer dead, that the tomb is empty. Notice this, Jesus had already gone. When the angel rolled the tomb away, it wasn't to let Jesus out. Jesus wasn't in there knocking on the inside. It, that's not what was going on at all. When the angel rolled the stone away, it revealed the empty tomb. Lazarus, when we think about resurrections, if you read, you know, John's account, especially, you know, Lazarus had been raised just before this, just before this happened. And so Lazarus, you know, he's inside the tomb and Jesus is like, get the stone out of the way, let the dude out. You know, like, and Jesus calls him out and Lazarus is alive because of Christ, but he has to be let out of the tomb. Jesus didn't need to be let out of the tomb. Jesus is already alive. He's gone. He's gone. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He has the ability to empower over mind, matter, soul, heart, spirit, all of these things. John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, Jesus said this, this is why the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. You're like, well, so he actually, just keep reading. No one takes it from me, he says, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my father. You see, Jesus' resurrection is unique because he took his life back up again at the proper time. Jesus didn't need to be let out of the tomb. He exited on his own while the stone was in place. The angel did not come to roll away the stone in order that Christ could come forth from the grave. So why did he roll the stone away? It's simple. He rolled the stone away in order to show that Christ had left the grave. It was for our sake. The stone is rolled away to reveal to men because God wasn't limited to that. He wasn't limited to us allowing him out. The stone is rolled away so that we can see inside and see that the tomb is empty. And the appearance of this angel was his identification mark. You think about this angel coming and rolling the stone of the way and his appearance as, as Matthew describes him. And, and he, he gives us the best, the best, um, understanding, I guess you could say, of, of what it would be like to look at an angel as someone who doesn't serve God. We see people throughout scripture react to angels in different ways, but the soldiers here, Roman soldiers, just straight pass out. And that's not normal. That's not something that you would do. You don't see a lot of Roman soldiers fainting in history, you know, or swooning. And, and here's the thing. You see these guys just straight pass out at the sight of this, this angel. It's overwhelming to them. 
That's a lot of power. And I just think it's cool. So verse five, we continue on. Such a cool story. Isn't this a great thing? This is a great passage to read. We should read this all the time. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Verse five says, the angel told the women, don't be afraid. Soldiers passed out. Women, don't be afraid. The women are still on their feet. Pretty cool. (laughs) Don't be afraid (laughs) because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here for he is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and indeed he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I've told you. So the angel has a conversation with the gals and he encourages them. We shouldn't discredit the love of the followers of Christ when we read that they didn't expect to find an empty tomb or to see a risen savior. We shouldn't expect, we shouldn't be down on them when they didn't expect to experience what they did. They were so blinded by the blood of the tragedy. They were so blinded by what had happened. They never saw the light that was shining beyond. They were so blinded by the brutality and the harshness and the suddenness, if you will, of the crucifixion and death of Christ and how quickly it happened right before Sabbath. That they really didn't have the time to to look and see this light that was shining beyond. But there was a light shining that was so bright. It was the hope of all humanity that they had missed. And we shouldn't discredit them. We should take this as a reminder. And there's a lesson in the midst of this for us, church. And here's what it is. We can never be so blinded by the current situation that we can't see the hope shining beyond it. We can never be so blinded by our current circumstances that we don't see the light that shines at the end. That Jesus has already won. That our hope and our eternity is secure in him. This is... The hope right here, our Savior's alive. The same hope that was a light that dawned on this Sunday in in a way that they never could have expected. They weren't expecting it all. They expected to find a dead body. That same light is what shines on us today, reminding us that whatever situation we're in right now, Jesus is still King. Jesus is still alive. We are living this out as his church right now. And fear is relieved. As the angel says to the women, don't be afraid. Fear is relieved when we remember that Jesus is risen. When we recall or see again in his word that he has risen from the dead. And we see here that their fears are assuaged even though they're seeking. They're seeking him in the wrong way. They're seeking after Jesus in the wrong way. But here's the point, church. They're still seeking him. They're still looking for Jesus. Even though it's in in the wrong direction, they're still looking for Jesus. And that's not going to be discounted by God. By looking for a dead man, they were coming to show their affection. They were coming to demonstrate their love for him, even though in their eyes, he had failed. I want you to think about it from that perspective. From their perspective, Jesus had failed. They were still coming to show love even when they had the wrong mindset, even when they were completely wrong. I mean, if you ask anyone, you know, in a church and walk and go, so was Jesus a miserable failure? I'm pretty sure you'd be like, what? I might be kicked out just for asking the question, even though I don't believe that. I might just get kicked out for uttering those words. But here's the point. Even when they thought he had horribly failed, they were still showing love. They were in love with the Lord. That says something. 
that communicates something to us. How much do we love Jesus? We have his ironclad proven truth in front of us. How much should we be pursuing and loving him? I know we all have doubts. We all struggle with doubt. But here's the truth of the matter. He loves us first. And we love him because he first loved us. If you think your love for the Lord is strong, you haven't even seen even an inkling of how much he loves you. And these people loved him so much, they were going to come and honor him even in his death. They were still showing that love. The angel reveals the blessed truth. Verse 6, it's our favorite part. The king is alive. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. You can come look for yourself. He's not here. Did you notice the loving rebuke given by the angel that he puts at the end there? I don't think he said this harshly. He said he is risen just as he said. Don't you remember you know, we can look at the early believers and think, how did they miss all these tricks? You know, how did they miss all these things that Jesus said? I don't know. How are we missing it and losing hope so often? That's really what we're doing. We're just forgetting what he said. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Trust in God. Proverbs 3, 5. Well, I, I just, I'm so filled with stress and anxiety. Matthew 6. Don't be anxious. He knows you have needs. We're just forgetting things that we've been told before, just like they did. And we're supposed to learn from these lessons, church. We're supposed to be looking and going, I remember, I remember Jesus said this. Read every word carefully, for there is not one thing that the Lord has spoken that will fall to the ground unfulfilled. Regarding this, what we're reading here for these people and regarding for ourselves, Everything that we've seen in the word of God that is promised to us will be fulfilled. Take heart and put your hope in his promises. He never breaks them. Jesus never breaks his promises. He told them he would die and rise again on the third day. And that's exactly what he did. And the one who has power over death like that can do anything. Anything. He never breaks his word and he gave his proof of his ability to perform for the one who gives life and holds the keys to death is the one who has promised us. He is the one who is life and who holds the keys to death. Believe in Jesus because he's proven himself worthy, not only of your trust, not only to have your hope placed in him, but he's worthy of our affection. He's worthy of our love because he loved us so much that he died in our place. And he loves us even when we fail, even when we don't understand fully. He's still showing grace and he's about to honor and reward the obedience of these gals by appearing to them in just a second because he is faithful and he doesn't hold it against us when we fail. When we seek him wrongly, we're still seeking after him. He's not going to punish us for that. He's going to draw us to himself. I think a lot of times we get this wrong perception about having perfect theology as if somehow that validates us in God's eyes. It doesn't. He loves you. He just loves you. It's his nature. It's who he is. He is love. And so these gals are, discover, are about to discover something about Christ that's so vital for us to understand. He loves us even when we're looking in the wrong direction. As long as we're seeking Jesus, we will find him. Even when we're looking for him dead in a tomb, we're still about to meet him alive doing something else. 
but they're still seeking Jesus. The gals are told to go and alert the disciples, and so they do just that, and the Lord meets them. Check this out, verse 8. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus told them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Even though the women had come to embalm him and were mistaken in understanding what was happening, Jesus still appeared to them. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan said this. He said, we are anxious that people should hold the absolute truth concerning him. He is anxious that souls should love him. Jesus is anxious for souls to love him. We're so anxious about perfect understanding, perfect knowledge, perfect acquisition of, of ideas and thoughts and direction. Jesus just wants people who love him and follow him. Church, we need to dial ourselves back to a place of simplicity, to a place where we are just a fellowship of believers that are following Jesus wherever he goes. People that are following him, not because it's the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do, but that's not the motivation. The motivation is that we love him. Jesus is desiring people to follow him who actually love him. And why wouldn't we love him? Why wouldn't we want to be with him after all he's done? He wants to meet those who pursue him because they're in love with him. And the Lord doesn't love us based on our worst mistake or our best performance. He loves us because he is love. He's not basing how much he likes you on how well you're doing today. You know, maybe you got up this morning and you thought to yourself, this is the only Easter that I don't have to get dressed for as a church member. You know, this is the first Easter I can actually wear sweats and my raggedy old t-shirt too. And as you're sitting, you're like, I just feel like garbage. I feel like I'm not pleasing to God at all. Not true. Not true. He doesn't love you based on what you wear. He doesn't love you based on how well you're doing. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because it's his nature, it's who he is. And someone who loves us in that way that doesn't need something back from us, how are we not drawn to that? There's nothing I can give him he doesn't already have. And so I just want to honor him. It puts you in this relationship that's just overwhelmingly, amazingly fulfilling. The disciples, they're hiding still. They didn't understand or comprehend when Jesus told them he would rise again on the third day. But notice this church, the denials and desertion of the last few days have done nothing to dim his love for them or change their relationship. We would all agree that collectively they, they failed. They deserted the Lord. Peter denied him in a way that was threefold clear. It wasn't just clarity. It wasn't just a clear thing that he did. Threefold, he denied him three times very clearly. They've denied him. They've deserted him. And he holds none of that against, against them at all. And it didn't dim his love for them in any way or change their relationship. Look what Jesus says. Jesus knows they love him. He isn't holding their failure against them. Notice how he addresses them. Go and tell my brothers. Not go and tell the dudes. Go and tell those guys, go and tell those miserable, go tell those miserable failures. 
that I'm going to take them back even though they don't deserve it. That's not what Jesus said. What he says is, go and tell my brothers. That's not how you address someone you're disappointed in. That's how you address somebody that's family. That's how you address someone that you love. Go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my sisters. Go and tell the ones that I love. I'm going to meet them. Head on up to Galilee. I'll meet you there. It's interesting that, that Matthew, you read the different gospel accounts, and you get a real clear picture of what they do. They kind of stay there. Jesus appears to them in the upper room. They do end up going to Galilee eventually. But it's interesting that Matthew focuses on that, most likely because Matthew's most significant connections with the Lord happened in the region of Galilee. And I think that it's really powerful to look at Jesus' heart for these guys in the midst of their current failure to remember, to believe. He doesn't doubt that they love him. Because as soon as Jesus appears to them, they're pretty excited about it. They love the Lord. And he doesn't base his love for them on their failure. Have you failed the Lord? Have you failed him in your thoughts? Have you failed him in your life? Have you failed him in, in some of the things that you've done? He is not holding that against you. He's not holding that against you. He wants to restore you. He wants to mature you. He wants us to grow. He doesn't want us to stay in this place that we're in. But I want you to, to understand this. He does not hate you. Jesus loves you and he accepts you and wants to spend time with you always. The only one that's keeping you separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus is you. So let it go. Whatever the thing is that you can't move past, let it go. Resurrection power means that Jesus is bigger than your problem. He is bigger than the sin issue you have. He is bigger than the failure. He's bigger than your denial. He's bigger than your desertion. The resurrection reminds us of this. And we need to hear it. Some of us need to hear it maybe for the thousandth time. Some of us may be hearing this for the first time, that Jesus loves you even though you failed. As we transition, we're going to worship for a bit. And as we reflect on Jesus, our Savior, being alive, this is an exciting thing. It's sobering. It awakens us. It excites us. I want us to grab hold of this fact. Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead. That's a physical reality. For believers in Jesus right now, for those of you who call yourself church members, you put your hope in Christ, you are born again believers, I'd like you to do, do something for me. Would you bow your heads and begin praying right now? I'd like you to bow your heads and begin praying because what comes next is something that we as a church long for. It's something that we want to see happen in our community. And I think that this morning is our opportunity to do this. So I'm going to have my kids come up and give me my, my instrument here, but I would like all believers who are listening right now to bow your heads and just start praying. 
Start seeking God's will right now. The ones that I'm speaking to in this moment are those who haven't received Christ, those who don't know Jesus. And I'd like you just to listen for a minute. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sin. He stepped in when you were dead, spiritually in your trespasses and sin. There was no hope for you. And he died in your place. He paid the price for your salvation with his own life. And when he rose again on that Sunday, he revealed that the power of God was able to crush sin and death. And I want to read this passage from Romans chapter 10 to you because Jesus can cleanse you of your sin. He can make you new. He can renew your life. And he's alive. That's a physical reality right now. And Romans 10, 9 through 13 says this, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on the name of the Lord now, your words don't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be the right phrasing. It can be jumbled. It can be mumbled. He knows your heart. He knows what's going on in your heart. Ask Jesus to wash you. Ask him to cleanse you of your sin and to forgive you. Confess to him that you have failed. And remember this. He's not against you. And he's not holding it against you that you failed. He forgives you. He knows what's best for you and he made you himself. And so he is calling you to himself right now. He formed you. He brings the dead back to life. If you've received Christ this morning, if you are praying that prayer right now, if, if this is something that you're doing in this moment as you're watching this, would you please reach out and contact us? Send us a message here. Email us and just let us know because we are not going to, you know, do some kind of weird ceremony for you here. You are saved the moment that you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. You are saved in that moment. We want to walk with you. You're part of the church now. For those of you who have prayed this, you're part of the church now. And we want to walk with you. We want to disciple you. We want to have conversations with you. We want to pray with you. We want to be a part of that because we rejoice in this. For those who have gotten saved, heaven is rejoicing. Because lost sinners have come to be saved in Christ. It's exciting to think about. And, and it's, it's such an odd dynamic to be looking into a, a, a lens and and. I fully believe that people are getting saved this morning.
It's such a cool thing to think about how he can reach in this time that we're living in the whole world through ways that we never would have imagined 20 years ago. You guys, a lot of us would like to think that COVID-19 is a curse. I see it as something that's kicked open double French doors of ministry. That ministry has gone forward in ways that we never could have imagined. The spirit has worked in ways we can never seen. All because we have been restricted in freedom and our eyes have been opened to see that the word of God is not bound. That you cannot bind the word of God. It doesn't catch a virus. It's not in isolation. God's word is not in isolation right now. It's not in quarantine and it's not staying at home. The word of God is going forth and his power is working. You can't stop it. And all I want to do is pour gas on that fire. I just want it to burn higher and brighter. Jesus, the King of Kings, is alive. Hallelujah for that. The story didn't end in the tomb. And it's not over now. The story didn't end when he rose from the dead. The story continues. This is God's story, and we are here to play our role in it. It's the story of redemption. And so I just, I'm so longing to hear from people that get saved this morning to encourage you. This is why we're here, so that God can continue to save, continue to work. And I hope that, t- that today is the beginning of this loving relationship with Jesus that you've never experienced before. And I hope for the church that we have a renewed excitement for what he's doing. God is working right now. Let's go to a time of worship. And as we sing these songs, um, let's just thank the Lord for all that he's done. Jesus, thank you for the power of your resurrection. Indeed, Lord, we agree with Paul that if you hadn't risen from the dead, we should be pitied over anyone else. We should not even be listened to, but Lord, we thank you that you absolutely did rise from the dead. Even the most logical explanation, Lord, left to us as we look at all the the facts of the situation, resurrection is the only logical answer. We thank you, Lord, for how powerfully you've worked in your church up until this point. As we celebrate you this morning, God, I just ask that you would, Lord, allow us to enter into that celebration in heaven as people get saved. Just fill our hearts with an overwhelming thankfulness for what you're doing. You are so beyond good. Good doesn't do you justice. 